From Loyola University Chicago School of Law and WLUW, this is The Podvocate. We're law students exploring the vanguard of the legal world with experts from our backyard and beyond. Subscribe to The Podvocate wherever you get your podcasts and join us every Saturday evening at 6 on WLUW 88.7 Chicago. For more information about this episode and our guests, please visit our website at thepodvocate.com and check out our social media pages. Hey listeners, I'm your host, Marissa Polowitz. Today's episode kicks off my new multi-part series exploring the rapidly evolving world at the intersection between privacy and technology. Data privacy is a popular conversation and legislative topic both within the United States and worldwide. To launch this series, first we'll dive into the question of data privacy, what is it? And what is it not? This episode we will be exploring data privacy, how it's different than but works in conjunction with cybersecurity, and the legal responsibilities of organizations to protect information and secure technological systems through the work of cybersecurity, data privacy, and compliance teams. With me today to help answer these questions is Bill Hanning, an experienced Chief Information Security Officer who has worked for over 25 years in finance technology, healthcare tech, and technology organizations. He specializes in implementing information security programs across a broad range of different types of organizations and aligning those information security practices with privacy and regulatory compliance requirements. Bill has his Bachelor of Science in Information Technology and a Master's of Science in Information Protection. This episode is presented in partnership with Loyola's Journal of Regulatory Compliance. This year, the Journal of Regulatory Compliance will host the first ever Loyola Symposium dedicated entirely to the topic of data privacy. Demystifying Data Privacy will be held via Zoom on Friday, March 11th. A brief printed version of this interview can be found on the journal's blog, Inside Compliance. Bill, thank you so much for joining us today and welcome to The Podvocate. I'm hoping you can start out by clarifying a bit for our listeners the difference between cybersecurity and data privacy. Absolutely. So when when you're thinking about the, the realm of data protection and, and data security, you have to first understand the, the comparisons and then look at them as a contrasting uh, discipline. So information security, which, which is how the, the process started out, was protecting data, whether it's in a non-electronic or an electronic form, against uh, accidental disclosure, uh, deletion, or alteration. The cybersecurity element is just the replacement of looking at things in an analog and digital world and solely focusing on those in a digital world. Uh, Data privacy on the flip side is looking at the elements of someone's information and knowing that that individual has the rights to remain confidential and protected from third parties. So data privacy is solely focused around uh, an individual's rights to have their data anonymized, uh, minimized, and only stored for use as appropriate. Uh, 
and in some cases to be able to be forgotten as soon as that data is no longer relative to the collecting party or organization. Okay, and so then can you talk a little bit about the overlap and the role of like cybersecurity in furthering data privacy aims? Absolutely. So uh, again, data privacy is usually uh, directed by some type of regulatory requirement or contractual obligation to an organization. So uh, it is more closely aligned with compliance, meaning that privacy is something that you must do. It is something that you must adhere to. Uh, the security element is something that you can do to go ahead and help align for that compliance and that privacy. So when you look at it that way, uh, I like to tell people, look at the, the way that the, the government in the United States is structured. You have separate branches. So if you, if you try to go ahead and, and do a compare between those or, or an alignment to those, you think of compliance, which represents the judicial branch. It is the, the stick of how you go ahead and do the enforcement. The privacy represents your legislative branch and they most, most closely align with your legal departments in an organization. And your security represents the administrative branch. So it's security is how you can do things. Privacy is why you must do them and compliance is what you must do. Excellent. So then in the context of a large organization, given the roles that these kind of three distinct areas um, work towards, what is the responsibility of, say, a compliance and legal department to work with and partner with cybersecurity specifically? Great question. So the compliance and legal departments are the subject matter experts in the vertical or industry that they're working in. So they know what the, the requirements are, again, whether they're, they're regulatory based on, on country or state uh, or industry that they may be working in. You could be working in the financial industry and be subject to GLBA. Uh, you could be in the healthcare industry and subject to the HIPAA privacy rule. You could be working in education and be subject to FERPA. Um, and the, the security department is the, the, the keys on how to go ahead and achieve those levels of compliance requirements. So again, being your subject matter experts, your legal and compliance department will know what is specific to the industry that you work in, uh, what you must do to go ahead and comply with those items. Uh, we talked about some regulation, but there's also contractual obligations such as PCI, DSS security. So if your organization happens to take payments uh, and they process payments on somebody either from a credit or debit card, uh, there are also some requirements around the privacy and security of those data elements that, that need to be adhered to as well. So being those subject matter experts, they can carve out uh, what is the requirement as opposed to the general white noise that comes with a document saying this is a policy that you must follow. They know what the letter of the law is and they know exactly what your organization should be focused on. And then they take those elements and they meet with their security team and say, this is what we are trying to achieve. Help us within the context of what we have, what we may need to have, or if we do have gaps, to make recommendations to us on how we can go ahead and best achieve these compliance and privacy requirements. So when it comes to like the types of data that are being protected, often that dis 
that determination is made by the subject matter experts within the compliance and legal departments as dictated by, say, regulation. Correct. And cybersecurity is more the kind of executor on that. Yes. That would be so is there, a, um, is there a point at which cybersecurity decides kind of on its own to do heightened or further protection of more types of data? Or is this something that's really dictated much more by the legal and compliance side? Another great question. So in the perfect world, it would be that cybersecurity would pick up where the compliance and, and regulatory leave them off and look to further restrict or further secure data elements within an organization, thinking about the, the, the potentials for what if or what could be as opposed to what must be. So when, when you look at data classification schemes, which is very important in the industry, if you don't have your data classified to a standard framework and something where you're looking at confidential and sensitive information versus what you would consider public consumption uh, versus not secure and, and completely open and available. Uh, public information that you could source out someplace on the internet. If you don't have a data scheme to go ahead and work off of, it's gonna be very difficult to achieve your compliance and privacy goals, as well as have your security department be able to align and protect those. But if you have those foundational steps in place, your security department should be able to go ahead and help you essentially lock those elements down to the, to the most restrictive levels needed and then make further recommendations based off of use cases that's seen in your organization. Uh, some companies do behavioral analytics or, or end user behavior uh, monitoring with artificial intelligence or machine learning tools to go ahead and see uh, a little bit further along the, the data ingestion and, and disposition line, how the data is being used. So as an example, HIPAA says that uh, you, you should only utilize the data if you have a need to know. And the only reason you should be utilizing that data is in the continuity of care for a patient. Well, if you take the human element from that equation, continuity of care and, and need to know can fall into many gray areas. But if you utilize tools such as machine learning and artificial intelligence, you can actually baseline activities of how many times somebody goes into a medical record, how many times did they focus on a specific data element? And then you can use that data and, and visualize, does that meet the requirements of privacy and compliance? Because if somebody goes into my medical record 300 times, whether they're a, a healthcare practitioner who has a right to see that record, are they using it appropriately? Are they using it with the intent to go ahead and continue care? So you're, back to your original question, how does security pick up where the, the end of the road meets from a privacy and compliance perspective? So utilizing those types of tools, you can actually take the data that you're able to garner from your systems and your users, take that behavioral analysis and provide it to leadership of organizations and show while we did meet the letter of the law, while we did these things, we we're being proactive and looking at the potential what ifs. And you can take these elements and decide whether you want to go ahead and further enhance the security of your organization, or if you're comfortable where you're at, so that way you can attest, but you can also feel like you can sleep at night. 
So when it comes to these types of data that we are talking about, who is the individual that's always, that would be responsible for ensuring that these are protective, protected? And then does that tend to be the same person in mid and large size organizations or does that change once an organization kind of hits a certain threshold of size? I'm glad you, you asked that towards the back of the, the question about does the responsibility lie on a specific individual or set of individuals based on the size of an organization? And the question is sometimes. So depending on the, the, the vertical and the size and maturity of an organization, the responsibility for data, data privacy, data compliance, and data security can reside within one individual or one group or it can reside in separate groups, or it can reside in two groups that have a little bit of overlap. Again, really depends on the industry that you're in. Uh, there are requirements to go ahead and have them separated out. Uh, HIPAA, as an example, requires that an organization has a privacy and compliance officer, as well as a data security officer known as a, a chief information security officer or chief security officer named for the, the organization. Uh, GDPR, uh, which doesn't necessarily focus on health information, but it focuses on private, uh, private citizens' personally identifiable information, PII, requires that an organization have a data privacy officer named specifically for that role that cannot have any, any conflicts of duty when it comes to their regular job. So you can have somebody who works in, in the privacy side of the house but they cannot be subject to any other stipulations as far as their job that could be a conflict of interest. So in organizations that have to deal with GDPR, it's usually not a good idea to have your security officer also be your data privacy officer while they can work in conjunction with each other uh, because of the way that the regulation is written. Separation of church and state, no pun intended, uh, is really what's required. So uh, small businesses, uh, whether you're in retail, hospitality, uh, you know, healthcare organizations, whether you're a, a medium-sized to large-sized healthcare organization, financial industry, you know, it's the the, the fintech space ha have their own federal regulations as well as uh, government regulations uh, in the in the banking world. They do recommend that you have a separation for those particular roles just because there, there is such a, a speciality and a focus within side of each of those disciplines that sometimes the lines do get blurred. And I like it when you have multiple people in an organization that fit on the roles and responsibilities chart that can work in parallel or work in conjunction with their partners to help make sure that the program is rounded. So I say you look at things like a uh, a racy chart. So you have who's responsible, who's actionable, uh, who needs to be communicated with and who needs to be informed. Uh, depending on what you're facing or, or, or what you're working with, your privacy officer, your compliance officer, your legal department, and your security officer could fit in any single one of those verticals. Sometimes they'll fit in multiples at the same time. But the, the responsibility column at the end of the day is who is the the person or groups of persons who are responsible to, to carry out that regulatory requirement or that industry specific requirement or that contractual obligation. 
the the A column is for actionable. So each of those people may be responsible for ensuring that these things are put in place. They may also have an action in that in that workflow to make sure it can get put in place. But the body of that work doesn't necessarily just belong to them. Then when you look at your your communication side, the the C of the RACI chart, it should be everybody in the organization who's a stakeholder for uh, aligning with those requirements, because if they don't, there could be penalties or obligations to the business that are negative in light. And then the I for, for informed is everybody in the organization. So your, your informed section should include all stakeholders, including people who may not deal with those particular items specifically as part of their job, but because of what they do in the industry that they're in, they should most, most certainly be informed that these things exist in the forms of policies, procedures, guidelines, and standards. Great, thank you so much. That's really thorough. Um, so one of the questions that I get a lot about cybersecurity for data protection purposes is what are some of the examples, like the examples of basic cybersecurity measures that companies should or could take to protect its data? And then kind of, Along those that spectrum, like, are they all expensive? Are they affordable? Are there free ones? Like, what are kind of the, like, the gamut of, like, just some basic examples? So, like how you, you started that, what are the basics? And I think that now uh, in the industry, it, it is always a misnomer to think that the next best thing or the the next buzzword from a, from a tools or platforms perspective is going to get you that much farther along in your data security and protection initiatives. The basics are what are important to an organization. And if you have good foundational basics, you can build off of that to further secure and strengthen your program. Some of the best things that you can do are, are actually free and it, it is all surrounding education and awareness. So the more that you can educate an organization and the people inside of that organization as to the importance of why you do these things and what it means to your company, and on top of that, what their role and how they participate helps strengthen those programs is the most invaluable tool out of a toolbox for any practitioner in cybersecurity, cyber compliance, and, and data privacy. Um, outside of that, your, your, your very basics is, you know, focus on the things that make sense. Look at the roles in an organization, make sure that you're only giving access at a level that is needed to know, and always go ahead and set your permissions to least permissive functions. So if someone is just a data analyst, make sure that they can read the data that they need to but the data is compartmentalized based on your classification structure. So they can only see what they need to do to perform their job. If somebody is an administrator of an organization, uh, not, not a technical administrator, but an administrator for the front office, they don't necessarily need administrative technical level permissions to those data elements. And that's something that a lot of organizations struggle with is creating good roles-based access policies. And again, this is something that is low to no cost, low to no tech. It just takes time to go ahead and sit and categorize the, the people and the processes in your organization. And then you can align your technology to go along with those. Um, you know, it's depending on what school of thought that you're from and how long you've been in the industry, 
passwords are the, the next best thing that you can do. And I know that NIST has recently uh, decided that passwords are no longer an effective security measure, but I'm still a, a practitioner and a believer in layered security defenses. So a password may be a nuisance to some people, but it's just another thing that creates a level of complication for someone who is, is nefarious in mind and, and activity. So having no password out there is, is pretty bad, but if you have other controls in place like multi-factor authentication, uh, you can get away with no passwords. But my recommendation is to still use a strong passphrase uh, for your most sensitive data systems. Uh, it just creates another hop or another level of, of execution or what we like to call work cycle, so that if an attacker does get in your organization, it's just another step that could trip them up or uh, another activity that will, will span enough time that they might get caught and the activity ceases. Um, again, basics, software patches and operating system patches. Make sure that the systems that you work with are up to date. Uh, there's too many times where you see zero threats that are released that people don't pay attention to. And it's understandable because when a zero threat uh, is, is realized, that means that there hasn't been enough data or awareness around it. And it is, it is known the day of. It's like a, a digital bomb being dropped in the laps of all the practitioners. But knowing that you have a vulnerability that may have been on your systems and manufacturer or a, a service provider has released a patch or an update for these things, and it has been purposely avoided by an organization is one of the worst mistakes that they can make. So a strong vulnerability management program is key to going ahead and securing your data elements. Um, and again, then your, the, the last level that I would put in there from a basic protection perspective is looking at your, your antivirus, anti-malware programs to make sure that you have something looking for malicious activities or anomalous activities on the machines or, or data systems that you're working on. Uh, they don't necessarily have to be set in a, in a deter mode, but they must detect it. Um, one of my favorite practitioners, uh, Dr. Eric Cole, would always say that uh, while I, uh, prevention is ideal, detection is a must. So that is probably one of the best things that I recommend from a toolbox perspective. Thank you. What are you seeing as the most common cybersecurity risks to consumers in the current landscape and moving forward? In the current landscape and also in the future, I, I still think that, that data privacy is number one. Uh, far too often people are willing to go ahead and trade their privacy uh, and their anonymity online for a little bit easier access, uh, whether it's to sites that, that are social media facing, uh, whether it's to you know, retail organizations that will potentially track your cookies and save your data to try to go ahead and uh, target you as a potential consumer later down the road. Um, I think that that's the area where you know, we're, we're most lax from, a, from an individual perspective, but yet in organizations, most of us have professional jobs where privacy and, and data security uh, are usually thought of as a, as a number one, if not number two priority for the business. So I think that there's gotta be a better alignment between people's personal lives and their professional lives. Uh, I try to go ahead and make security personal uh, when I'm trying to educate others. So I, I use an example. Um, I'm, I'm very fond of, of things that, would you do this at home? If not, why would you do it at work? And then on the flip side, if you have to do it at work, why don't you carry those things that you've learned into your, your personal life? Uh, 
So if there's ever opportunities to, to use technology, a good example is uh, ran a campaign where we used physical security keys, uh, token keys, which is something that you have that you can store your identity password on or your, your biometric information or a, a one-time password uh, that you can utilize to access these applications and programs, hand those out because they're, they're very inexpensive for an organization to use for their own security implementation and encourage their use for the, the individual's private sites, like their, their Facebook slash meta accounts, uh, their Google email or, or any other personal email systems that they use when they log into their banking organizations, configure these things so that way they carry over and it starts implementing the, the, the good hygiene practice of security, privacy, and compliance from an individual perspective, which basically rounds out the entire ecosystem for me. That's a really great answer, thank you. And then my last question is very much projecting into the future. Do you anticipate that data privacy and cybersecurity will at some point converge with all of the advancements that we're seeing um, with like machine learning and AI? I think certain data elements will converge, uh, but very much so they still need to remain as, a, as an individual but parallel effort for countries, for companies, and for individuals. Um, you don't want to go ahead and make the mistake of replacing one thinking it's all encompassing uh, with something else. Again, back to the, the concept of layered defense or defense in depth, we don't take one thing as the silver bullet, the catch-all that can fix and, and stop any type of malicious activity from a cyber perspective. Uh, I think the same thing along the lines of looking at compliancy, uh, data privacy, and security is that they each serve their own function. They very heavily overlap and interlock with each other, but one cannot replace the other. They, they serve their purpose. And in order for things to work, in order for it to be balanced, uh, which is probably a better way to say it, is you have to have those linchpins in. And in the security space, I mean, there, there's the, the triad that everybody's familiar with. It's confident, uh, confidentiality, integrity, and availability. And you can spin that triangle around and ask at any given time, what's the most important to you? Well, it's based on what you're dealing with at that particular moment in time. So pull those three elements out and put compliance, privacy, and security on that triangle and spin it around and ask an organization or a country or a company or a person what's the most important to you. And it's gonna change based on the information at hand and what they're dealing with at that particular moment in time. Bill, thank you again so much for joining us. That's all from us here at The Podvocate. Thanks again for joining us today. Our team wants to hear from you. So if there's a topic that you'd like the show to cover, please email us at thepodvocate at gmail.com. Visit our website at thepodvocate.com for more information on this episode and our guests. The Podvocate is produced by WLUW, the student-run independent radio station broadcasting from the School of Communications at Loyola University, Chicago. Our senior editors are Olivia Shea, Emmett Harrington, and Lenny Reinhardt. Our associate editors are Christy Paradis and Marissa Polowitz. Our editor-in-chief is Leanne Jossen. Special thanks to Professor John Dane for providing the resources and support to make this show possible. From Loyola University Chicago School of Law, this has been The Podvocate.